Somewhere in the outback of Australia, there's a small town that is so isolated from the outside world, they depend on a satellite link for communication. One morning, their simple life begins to change. For the next 24 hours, many of the town folk will be infected with a virus from outer space, and those that haven't been infected will find themselves fighting for their lives. Today I talk about the 2019 film The Dust Walker, the Australian sci-fi horror film written and directed by Sandra Skybiris. The woman responsible for me watching this movie is named Dawn. Am I going to thank her or curse her name for all eternity? Find out in this episode. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the twinkle. What about the Twinkies? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas Multipass. Multipass. Uh, multipass. You know this multipass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Hello there, welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. It's the third Monday of the month, and that means I'm going to talk about a film recommended by a listener. For those new to the podcast, once a month, a listener takes over the show by making me watch a movie they have a fondness for. At the end of the show, I will either celebrate the listener or curse their name for all eternity. For this show, I heard from a lady named Dawn who asked me to watch a 2019 film called The Dust Walker. I had never heard of it, but it was on Hulu, so I thought, let's give it a try. Now this lady, Dawn, to be honest, is my wife. She wanted me to watch it so we could talk about it, and she didn't want to tell me anything about it till I saw it, so Dawn, I've watched the film and get ready for my comments. The first thing I discovered was that this was an Australian film. This is the third listener recommendation I've done, and two of them have been Australian films. But you know, one of my longtime listeners, a person that I've mentioned quite a few times, is named Russell, and he's from Australia. He often offers me opinions and information about the subjects I'm talking about. I believe he's involved in the Australian film industry, so I sent him a note asking him if he knew anything about the Dust Walker or those who made it. And apparently, to my shock, all the people in Australia don't know each other. Hey, who knew? When I asked, he explained, The movie was from a West Australian-based filmmaker, so that is literally a continent away from me. Filmmaking here is based around big cities, so people who know and network with each other tend to work mainly in the same town. He did have something to say about the Thomas Edison podcast I did a couple of weeks ago. I talked about how Edison's discovery of the light bulb was a long process of trial and error. He had his people literally trying thousands of different substances rather than there being one moment of inspiration. He wanted me to point out that Edison was an inventor, not a scientist. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, back to the dust walker. I'm going to try hard not to spoil the film. You know, when I do a film that's like 60 or 70 years old, 
I'll spoil the heck out of the film because, you know, if you haven't seen it by now, what's wrong with you? But a film that's only three years old, especially one like this with a bit of a twist at the end, nope, I won't spoil it. Now, one of the pleasant surprises in my research of this film was that it was written and directed by a woman. Not that I have any problem with female directors, of course not, but it just surprised me. I mean, horror films have been generally dominated by men. For that matter, sadly, most filmmakers are men. But as far as I know, the few women who have been able to make movies seem to stick to comedies, romances, and dramas. I'm sure there have been horror movies by female directors, but I can't think of any. Maybe this film will be the start of a new trend. Let's hope so. This film was written and directed by Sandra Skabiris, an Australian filmmaker. It was her fourth film as a writer-director. Her other titles were Max's Dreaming from 2003, Caterpillar Wish from 2006, and 2011 Surviving Georgia. It appears from the dates that she takes a lot of time between films, and I haven't seen any of her earlier work, though I might uh, look to see what they're like. I did read that they were all introspective dramas, so The Dust Walker was a total shift in direction. The whole film takes place in one 24-hour period. There's a meteor that crashes on Earth in an isolated town in the Australian outback. There's also an alien ship around. Then something like a virus begins to affect people, making them do awful things. I don't think that's a spoiler because that all happens in the first five minutes before the opening credits. Then there's a beautiful female sheriff who was working her last day before a planned move to the big city. And she, of course, has to deal with the situation. Helping in her survival is her sister, who was a schoolteacher, her deputy, and a scientist. And to complicate matters, there's a bunch of children they are trying to keep safe. Now, in general, I have a problem with kids in horror films. Well, at least in American horror films. They're never truly in danger. You know they'll survive. If a filmmaker wants to add realistic stakes to your film, one of those youngsters needs to be brutally murdered. You see, once this happens, it's so uncomfortable that now the stakes go up and the audience has the feeling that no one is safe. And Sandra does this early in the film. And it's not just a death, but a gruesome death. How could he do that? How could he do that to his own daughter? Hey, hey, gather all the kids in the car and get to the station. Yeah? He's sick. I'm isolating Bill to the old jail. No one goes near that block. I saw an interview with her and she said it was planned to be much worse, but she chickened out. The star of the film is 42-year-old Jolene Anderson. She plays Joe Sharp, a small-town sheriff. From looking at her IMDb, it would appear she was an Australian TV star in shows like All Saints from 2006 to 2009, Rush from 2009 to 2011, and Home and Away from 2014 to 2015. And since Dustwalker, she starred in a show called Harrow. She was also in a film called Nazi Undead, an interesting title I might have to look into. Her younger sister, Samantha, is played by a 39-year-old redhead named Steph Dawson. She has been in a lot of short films, and she was in three of the Hunger Game films. 
I can't really comment about that since I've never seen a Hunger Game movie. But you know, both of these women seem a lot younger to me. I would have thought it was the mid-30s for Jolene and Steph in her 20s. Maybe that's just because I'm an old man and everybody looks young to me. I don't know. And you know what? I'm really not going to go into any of the other cast members because besides Crocodile Dundee, Yahoo Serious, and the people in the Mad Max movies, I really don't know any Australian actors. I watched an interview with Sandra Skabiris, and she said the idea of the film came to her while her and her kids were binge-watching the series Lost. And she said she thought of Tremors when writing it. I guess that's where the idea of an isolated community cut off from the rest of the world came from. Oh, I should have mentioned that, that the whole town is surrounded by this cloud or the storm of sand and dust that they can't get through. So they're all stuck there and their communications have been cut off. Well, now it's time for me to take a break and turn to Nancy Fry in this edition of Nancy's Nanderings. Hello, everybody. Time for Nancy's Natterings. This week, I don't have much to say about the film in question. I'll be honest, horror isn't my favorite genre to watch. I'll work on them, sure, but watch, not so much. Yes, this has an alien in it, but it's more of a monster movie than a strict sci-fi. I'm sure they had fun making it, and they did a workmanlike job, but I'm not going to spend any time nitpicking. Instead, how about a list of my favorite films in this genre? There's nothing wrong with a good monster movie. I grew up watching hammer horror classics in my school gymnasium, and stuff like The Mummy, King Kong, and all the Toho kaiju movies on weekend afternoon TV. Of course, this was back in the 70s when that's what you had. So there's a nostalgia factor there. The first really scary movie I saw in a theater was definitely a monster movie. It was a gothic horror film released in 1979. I was in high school, and my sister and two other friends drove to the old Almo Theater in Palsbo, Washington for a scary night out. It was a small, classic old movie house with a balcony even. It sat maybe 200 people. The lights went down. The opening titles faded in with some eerie mood music, and two hours later I was wrung out after the scariest experience of my life to that point. That movie gave me terrifying dreams for years. In fact, I avoided ever seeing it again until just a few months ago. It was my first Ridley Scott film. You've probably guessed it by now, Alien. It may be set in space, but unlike its sequel, Aliens, which is a straight-up action film, Alien is basically gothic horror. Another genre adjacent to today's film is the cosmic horror type story. This covers things like H.P. Lovecraft's Elder Gods. They deal with that kind of thing in Hellboy. 1997's Event Horizon is a kind of gothic meets cosmic horror. I came away from that one confused about what was actually going on. Is it demons? Is it ghosts? Is it aliens beyond our ability to comprehend without losing our very sanity? It has a great cast and is beautifully shot, so if you've never seen it, check it out. An earlier cosmic horror-slash-space-monster film, which gave me the heebie-jeebies, is Life Force. 
This was 1985. It was written by Dan O'Bannon, who gave us the aforementioned alien. But this one is basically space vampires. More specifically, one space vampire who is inadvertently introduced to Earth and wreaks havoc. It's not as elegant as many other films in this genre, but when I saw it on VHS in my college days, I remember being pretty wrung out by the end. It's one of those non-stop peril stress fests. It also stars Steve Railsback, who I always liked in everything, so there's that. Going back further than the 80s, all the way back to 1958, you can find a good example of the classic sci-fi preachy message film. The Space Children wants you to know that atomic rockets are dangerous, and maybe we Earthlings are not ready for such great destructive power. A creepy, giant, brain-looking alien from outer space is here to show us the error of our ways. What better way to do that than by mind-controlling a bunch of plucky kids? Sound campy? It is. So the best way to watch this one is through Mystery Science Theater 3000, of course. Many of my favorite films are spoofs and other kinds of lighter fare. It's hard to write stories that are actually funny. I think it's harder than writing straight drama. The story, pacing, and comic timing of the actors all have to be dialed in or it's going to fall flat. I think this is why so many humorous takes on horror are among the best all-around films. Comedy works best when the writer employs contrast, as in poking fun at otherwise serious situations. What's more serious than an alien invasion or a rampaging monster? One of the best films ever made, in my opinion, and it's found in many top 10 lists, is Young Frankenstein. It's definitely in my top 10 of films, period, and not just comedies. Then there's Tremors, which we covered in an earlier episode. Even though the subject matter is pretty terrifying, that film is so well-written, directed, and acted that it manages to keep things light and fun, as well as action-packed. Another fine example of this kind of genre is 2004's Shaun of the Dead. I was surprised at how much I liked this movie, because the zombie genre usually bores me. Maybe that was part of my problem with today's film, which was sort of a zombie pick, really. Give me a great cast, snappy dialogue, a plot with turning points and reversals, some solid subplots and crackerjack editing, and you basically have all of those Edgar Wright Simon Pegg films, to be honest. Anyway, when a genre film plays it straight and serious but doesn't quite pull it off, it can end up being kind of forgettable. Unless it's bad enough to be so bad it's good. See, anything covered by MST3K. The Dustwalker isn't a bad movie, certainly not bad enough to be good. I'm sure they had fun making it, but unless you're a diehard horror-slash-sci-fi buff, it's probably not going to be your cup of tea. That said... At least it's not Laser Blast. Thanks, Nancy. You actually brought back a lot of memories there. And as a fan of Steve Railsback, I think we should do the stuntman one day on the show. But now let's get back to the Dustwalker. Here's the thing about the movie. It goes rather slow. And I usually can deal with a slow-paced movie. But here, there's a bit of a problem. You see, we as the audience find ourselves waiting for the characters in the film to catch up to what we already know. I'll give you an example of this. 
The first Predator film, I think, works really well because the viewer doesn't know any more about what's going on than Arnold, Carl Weathers, or Jesse Ventura. We learn as they learn. In Predator 2, there's a problem because we have to wait for Danny Glover to learn all the things that we learned in the first movie, and as far as I'm concerned, it just doesn't work all that well. In The Dust Walker, we see things land on Earth, and then we see a man get infected and start acting crazy, and all this before the opening credits. What are you looking at, Simon? Mr. Barter. Then it's like over 45 minutes before the characters in the film learn what we already know. So then you've got a few men who've been infected standing or walking around and people wondering what's wrong with them. But we know what's wrong with them. So while it might be a mystery to the characters, it's not so much for the audience. If, on the other hand, we didn't know what was happening and we followed along with the characters discovering the secrets along the way, it might have worked a little better. I also noticed that there's a few loud musical stings that occur early on in the film with nothing happening, and I find that annoying. I've seen other films do that, and it really bugs me. All that being said, I think it's the acting that keeps this movie going, at least for me. Like I said, I can handle a slow-moving picture. I mean, I've watched 2001 A Space Odyssey a dozen times, and it doesn't bother me all that much. What I did like about the film was that because it takes place in a small, isolated community, a place where everybody knows each other, there's a conflict over how to handle the infected. You know, sure, these things are gruesomely killing others, but is it their fault because they're infected and sick? So the characters are conflicted because these infected people could be a spouse or a child, an uncle or a friend. But then again, there's a certain point where you have no choice but to pull a trigger. And who are you going to shoot with those? Half the bloody town's gone mad. Who's going to kill our families, yeah? What if it was one of us? We're not shooting anybody, but let's be clear, these people are capable of doing the worst things we can imagine. Dean just killed his wife. And you killed him before we even had a chance to understand what this is. So she didn't have a choice. There's always a choice. I sort of wish that this film explored that more, really dug deep into that conflict. I mean, how much do you blame the mentally ill for their actions? And at what point does helping a person like that become a lost cause? Another thing I liked was that there was no romance in the film. One of my pet peeves in horror films is in which two characters who have seen all types of horrific bloody death and destruction suddenly find love. In the middle of everything, they could be covered with blood and all sweaty and dirty, and suddenly they're having sex. That's always good for an eye roll. 
Now, I figured my review for this movie would be a little short because I just couldn't find a lot of information about the making of the film. So, for something different, I asked a good friend of mine named Brian from up in Wisconsin to watch the film and tell me what he thought. So take it away, Brian. So I just watched The Dust Walkers. It's a movie that you can find on Hulu. And I watched it cold, didn't watch the previews, didn't watch the trailer, just said, you know what, let's give it a watch. So it starts off normal type movie with the asteroid hitting Earth, and I assumed it was going to be zombie type people taking over the planet. Instead, it had a different turn, and to say the least, it was definitely odd and different. Um, I... I'm not a thousand percent sure, with the exception of the first gentleman, what turned the rest of them into, for lack of a better term, zombies. But that's what happened. And then you have the, assuming she was the sheriff, was ready to leave town because she wanted bigger and better things and decided, you know, so this came up, so we got to take care of this first before we move away. And so... The townsfolk start turning into, lack of a better term, again, I'll just call them zombies from here on out. And every so often, a giant bug would come and pick up the zombies and take them away. And then the usual, you know, got to round up the kids and, you know, get them and have the school, uh, you know, being invaded by the couple of the zombies and then the fight scenes with the zombies and... Then, from there, it went to, I guess, a Stephen King-esque type of dome situation where now they couldn't leave town because of the, again, lack of a better term, bug, creature, whatever. And then, three quarters of the way, you find out that the bug creature maybe has feelings and understands things that just threw me for a loop. And then at the end, I don't know how to describe the end. I Even now, after finishing the movie, I really don't know what the hell happened to the alien or bug or whatever you want to call it. But all the zombies were now gone and life was good and the Stephen King-esque dome-type cloud is gone. And I still don't know if she's staying in town or she's leaving, but her partner's leaving. I... It's been a long time since I've been confused watching movies, and I, I, I really don't know what to say. The movie just confused uh, I, I don't know. Even now, 24 hours later, I'm still befuddled what I just watched. Um, if you want something that is the usual zombie movie, this isn't it. If you want to watch something that's kind of like a zombie movie, but with twists and turns, this could be it. I mean... It didn't suck. If I would have paid a dollar for it, I wouldn't ask for my money back. If I'd have paid two dollars, I would have. Um, besides that, it was, you know, out of five stars, I'd give it two and a half because it wasn't horrible. The acting was good. The storyline was a little bit acting, and my confusion's off the charts, which is actually probably a good thing because I don't mind being confused after a movie. Um, that's about all I got to say about that movie. Thanks, Brian. That was great. And, you know, I think I understood the end, so maybe one of these days we'll go out for a beer or two and talk about it. 
And for you listeners out there, if you have a short opinion about a film that I'm reviewing, feel free to send me an audio file of your thoughts. I would appreciate it. Just keep it to, you know, a minute or two. Now, like usual, I look to see what others thought of the film, and for that, I always turn to Rotten Tomatoes. Unfortunately, this film only gets a 14% audience score, which isn't too good. Jim D. gave it 1 out of 5 stars, and he wrote, This movie is exactly like those awful sci-fi or asylum films. It's pretty amazing in that way, so expect that going in. The story, acting, effects, and direction are so poor, it's impossible to take this movie seriously or review it critically. Yes, it's as bad as all the other low ratings say. Come on, Jim, comparing it to those sci-fi films, really? I don't think so. Anyway, Fam H gave it a half star, and he or she wrote, Not recommended. 90 minutes wasted at cinema. Okay. In fact, there are quite a few bad reviews, many of them saying that the ending just didn't make sense. I personally thought the ending was the best part, but not all of the reviews were bad. Bill P. gave it three and a half stars, and he wrote, A lot of reviewers are overly critical of this movie, in my opinion. It's not bad. A little slow moving, but the acting is fine and the gag is kind of cool. A combination zombie monster movie in a remote Australian town. Definitely worth a try. To be fair, I saw it on a subscription service so I didn't have to pay for it, so that may temper this review. And Jessica T. gave it five stars, and she wrote, Original concept, good suspense, pretty great movie. Not the highest budget effects, but fun all around. Now, there were only 16 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and no critic reviews, so I didn't have a lot to pick from here. Um, One review said, this movie is anti-gun propaganda. And I was like, huh? What? Maybe because the people in the movie are conflicted over shooting their friends and loved ones? I don't know. We need to work out who's sick and lock them up with Bill. Whatever this is, this could be completely curable. So we keep not shooting anyone, unless we have to. But as Jessica pointed out, the effects budget wasn't all that high, and some of it looks a little cheesy, but hey, I used to watch those, you know, 50s and 60s science fiction movies. I can deal with that. It's called using my imagination and pretending. I know that this isn't real. But kids today, what are you going to do? They're spoiled by some amazing special effects in those Marvel movies. You know, one thing that always gets me about a horror film like this is, assuming this really took place, how would you explain those events to other people in the rest of the world? I remember one time watching a film about a bunch of teenagers who sneak into a building in an old amusement park and some evil spirit starts killing them off one by one and in the end only two survive and the film ends with them walking away during the morning sunrise and I thought how are they going to explain this? They'll go to the police and say yeah five of my friends were killed last night by an evil spirit and we survive. Hey, you two are going to jail for murder. Anyway, Dawn, on the count of wasting Jeff's time with an inferior film, the court of Jeff finds you 
Innocent. Although this wasn't a great film, it was different, and in my book, different is always good. And on top of that, you are my wife, so how could I curse your name for all eternity? Thanks for recommending the film, and I'm glad I watched it. Like I mentioned, you can watch this film for free at a place like Tubi with commercials if you don't want to pay for it. And frankly, I wouldn't pay to watch this movie. But if you've got a streaming service like Hulu, it's worth a view, I think, anyway. They're cutting capers, wild capers, dangerous underwater capers, daring underworld capers. I don't have time to fool around with to scroll. I got it. Then the Catalina scuba divers take on underwater outlaws. Catalina Caper in color. A little bit before I go. You know, personally, I would rather watch a film like this one than watch something like, I don't know, like one of those Transformer films or any Michael Bay film for that matter. Okay, to be fair, I only watched the first Transformers movie, but I remember thinking, I'm never going to watch one of these things again. Do you know that last one, the one about King Arthur? Yes, a robot movie that features the Knights of the Round Table. It's over two and a half hours long. No thank you, Mr. Bay. Now, next Monday is the fourth Monday of the month, and that means we will be talking about a film that has been featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000 or one of its spin-off shows. Next week, we'll feature the classic Tommy Kirk film, Catalina Caper. This is a film that skillfully blends the beach party format with a crime story. Now, listen up. We have a Facebook page, and I would love to read your comments on it. It's called Celluloid Days, so why don't you join us? We also have a Twitter account. It's at Celluloid underscore Days. Go there and say hi to me. And we're always looking for film suggestions. The more strange and unusual, the better. The email address for this show is daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid, all being one word. Why don't you email me and give me your opinion or, hey, just say hi. And if you've got a suggestion, you can send it to me at any of those places. I would really appreciate it. If you could leave a review, hopefully a good one, wherever you get this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. So, thank you to Nancy Fry, Brian Rezidek, and Russell Devlin for your help. And Russell, yes, you are my Ed McMahon. And of course, thanks to everybody who listened to the show. I really appreciate it. Take care, and I'll be back next Monday with Catalina Caper. Bye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkies? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Multipass. You know this multipass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time.